0: Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by M&I Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta, and today I'm glad to be joined by Jeff Fuhrer, a former executive vice president and senior policy advisor at the Boston Fed who spent some 27 years at that institution. Jeff, who is now a fellow at the Eastern Bank Foundation, first joined the Fed system at the board here in Washington in 1985 as a senior economist. He has just written a book called The Myth That Made Us, which focuses on what he describes as a broken economic system that deprives large swaths of the population of the capital and resources needed to live an economically productive life. Thank you so much for joining FedSpeak, Jeff. Happy
1: to be here. Thanks, Pedro. And it's nice to see you.
0: Nice to have you. So let's start with the story du jour, which is, of course, inflation. I'm wondering what you make of the latest CPI report and perhaps what aspects of the inflation outlook worry you the most. Well, I think the, the report is, of course, a bit disappointing. I think most people said that.
1: I think many had expected a somewhat more pronounced deceleration of inflation. But I also think it's not quite the end of the world as we know it just yet. In terms of the things that I worry most about, obviously, it's just seeing a broader pattern of increases, especially among services categories, and notably the owner's equivalent rent category. I would say that OER, the owner's equivalent rent, typically reacts with a lag to pressures in housing markets. You know, rents take some time to go up. Uh, as house prices go up, and then it will probably lag going down. We already see signs that the housing market is softening, so probably over time, we'll see OER retreat as well. But it will take a little bit more time, so that's concerning. I guess those are the things I would keep an eye out for. We'll I'll have plenty more to say about inflation because I think there's much more to it than that. But um, let's sorry, let's keep going. I know you have other things to to ask.
0: Yeah, about. I mean, how how much do you worry about what people call second round effects? You know, where are we in the the Fed seems really focused on getting wages under control, if you will, which is kind of you know, odd because they're not, they, they are under control when you adjust them for inflation. But of course, right. that seems to be the crux of the issue for them. So let me, let me tell you what I think is
1: going on, and then I'll worry about the second round effects that might fit into the story. So right now, what many people are saying is, so look, earlier it was supply that was the problem, but now it's really all about demand. Um, I actually find this a little bit puzzling. And here's why. So uh, earlier on, it's most people thought, and I agree that the outsize increases in inflation were tied to specific supply constraints that came out of both the pandemic and the war and the disruptions in China and all that. I think that's right. But now some of those are fading, not all. Some of those are fading and many people are saying, well, yeah, that's fading and it will fade. It's really just all about way too much demand. What puzzles me about that is as recently as 2019. Uh, and for several years before that, we had very strong demand. We had an unemployment rate at the same level that it is today as of the latest reading. And the, the challenge then was to try to get inflation up to 2% from something a bit below that, according to the Fed, which is to say that strong demand just as of two or three years ago had very little effect on inflation at all. And the question is what has changed now such that if, if the supply effects are becoming less important, how is it that demand now has this tremendous effect on inflation? I mean, I could believe it could have some effect on inflation, but that seems like an outsized imputation to strong demand. Um, so that's, that's, that's a story that I'm worried about. I, th- I think people may be misinterpreting what's happening uh, with, the in- with inflation rising. Now, to be sure, if, if I'm right about that, and I certainly would never claim to be absolutely right. This is too tough a field to make that claim. But if I'm right about that, what could mess up that story? And that's where the second round effects that you talk about get into come into play. First of all, these are the usual suspects. If expectations become unanchored, if they get jarred loose or, you know, even if you don't want to take it literally as expectations, if the the norm for inflation, what people have come to expect generally and loosely uh, rises noticeably above two percent, you know. And if that gets baked persistently into wage increases, then we could be off to the races with a bit of a spiral. Uh, so that that could be a problem. But as you said, to date, what wages have mostly been doing is trying to catch up with inflation and on, on average, not quite catching up. So people are losing ground in real terms. So I don't see that as a, a right now. We're, we're not in a wage driven, tight labor market, that kind of wage driven inflation spiral. Could that change? Possibly. But I would first expect to see some more significant changes in expectations uh, as conventionally measured from financial markets, from households, from wherever um more more change than we've seen to date and so far really for sure inflation expectations have kept up with the latest you know current and this year's inflation but they're not showing unhinging looking out five ten years so so those are the things that can mess that story up those are the second round effects we don't really see those i think uh importantly uh and and more importantly this story about what's causing inflation just saying well it's all about demand is just a really rapid turnaround from the, the effects that we imputed to demand as recently as 2019 and early 2020.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the pace of rate hikes. We went from a 75 basis point hike in June that was supposed to be an unusual, unusually large move, and now it's become right. kind of the baseline. Right. And not only are we expecting another one in November, but the market's already pricing in another one in, in December following the CPI. Is the Fed moving too quickly, and is there a huge risk there in terms of the lagged effects? So I, I think that is Paul Krugman has written about this and
1: I, and I started thinking about it too, even before I read Paul's article, but I, you know it's good that he's writing it because he carries some clout. I, I think this is one of the biggest risks at the moment. It's not that we know that they're going too fast because so far they're only up to the three to three and a quarter range. And um, that makes sense to me. And I'll talk about that more in a second, but I think the risk of overdoing it is an important one. Uh, I think because you know, if you think about the way I described the inflation dynamic, if it's not really you know, incredibly strong demand, which is pushing inflation up to an underlying rate of 4% or higher, then more than likely, at some point, these supply effects, unless we have bad second round effects, these supply effects are going to fade out and inflation will come back down. In which case, if the Fed were to raise more rapidly than we expected, even as of September, they could overdo it. Um, they will be in positive real rate territory as of next year, according to their own projections, significantly so you mentioned lags this friend, this old friend of ours milton friedman mentioned lags of monetary policy at one point that is not to be taken lightly i mean they could be fighting the battle by looking in the rearview mirror they can be driving the car by looking in the rearview mirror i don't know if you use a rearview mirror during a battle a, a military battle but in any event that that could be a mistake they would be raising rates vigorously when in fact um, the seeds of declining inflation would have already been sown and that i think is a risk Uh, And, and, you know, the risk, of course, is that they could cause much larger recession or much larger slowdown than certainly they envision, or than I think we need to handle inflation, at least as I understand it. So that, yes, I think that's a a really significant risk. The only thing I would add to that is that um, it's not just, as you know, it's not just the Fed is raising interest rates. Uh, The ECB, uh, the Bank of England are, are raising interest rates. So... They have inflation issues to varying extents and for, for somewhat different causes around the world. But with a global tightening of rates and a possible over tightening by the Fed, that risks uh, not only a U.S., but a, a more global recession. And, you know, the IMF has been marking down its forecasts, but they could be marked down even more if those sorts of impacts come a little bit late and they're not any more about fighting inflation. They're, they're more than we need to fight inflation. And then, you know, unwinding those would take some time. So, yes, I see a risk of overdoing it. Again, I don't know that that's the case, but I do worry about it, given the way I think about inflation,
0: and given the way that means inflation is likely to evolve, and given the lags in the effects of policy. And given that backdrop, how high do you expect Fed funds to go? You know, 4.6 was the median at the SEP, but then it seems to have already been another uh, yeah another notch up and we're getting kind of in the five percent range how high do you think they could go if they they've set themselves also a very high bar for for slowing the pace right
1: and i understand that you know to date they feel they have not seen the kinds of improvement in inflation that they'd like to feel like well between the the realized inflation and the effects that would have on their outlook for inflation going forward they don't feel like they've done the job yet that may be right at current rates that's okay could they get to 5% or above? Absolutely. I mean, they, they made a, a change of about a percentage point in the rate horizon at the September meeting um, with one bad, C- I would emphasize with one bad additional CPI report. It looks like the markets anyway are notching things up a bit further. So getting to 5% is not at all out of the question. That does not say that I endorse going that high, but it, it seems certainly within the realm of possibility. I think really importantly, they are as you know, they've got hundreds of economists in DC and around the system. They are pouring over every bit of data to see if that that projection that was in the latest SEP, possibly amended due to recent results, is going to be about right or not. And I think it's going to be very data dependent. If you see two or three months in which some key categories uh, in the CPI basket flatten out, or you know, has been has has been the case for some categories decline and and the the numbers for headline and core start to look distinctly lower, they may pull back on that. They're quite data responsive, I think. So that's to be determined, but 5% and above is not out of the question.
0: How worried are you about financial stability risks in the context of what's happened in the UK? How localized do you think those concerns are? Or is that just a kind of a canary in the coal mine of the many financial risks that are likely to pop up as rates rise this rapidly? I
1: think it's more of the latter than the, for, than the former. I think um, so for one thing, balance sheets for most institutions, most you know households and businesses and banks and so on in the US are in considerably better shape now than they were, let's say 2007, uh, 2008, 2009. So I'm less worried about a real credit issue um, where you know folks are exposed with borrowing against assets whose values are at risk of falling dramatically and they have very little cushion there. But in terms of pure liquidity, That's, I think, more of what's going on is that, you know, you will see from from time to time, we saw them in the spring of 2020 um, dislocation in the Treasury markets, you could see that in in markets that really are about liquidity again, I think the good news there is the Fed is, you know, quite on top of that and has pretty good tools today for injecting liquidity when they need to, to some extent, they can do that without disrupting their policy trajectory, given that they're using administered rates, There are complications there, of course, but I, I think I don't see that as a, a a sign of an underlying dramatic weakness in, you know, say, Treasury or other highly liquid, what are traditionally highly tri- liquid markets. I think that's more um, localized and generally temporary issues. And should they become more pronounced, the Fed has the tools to to ease those markets and put them back on a good footing. So I worry less about that. I mean, obviously, keep track of it and make sure markets are functioning. But as as a macro influence, I worry less about that than I do about getting the trajectory and balance right for inflation and for employment.
0: And what about the risks of a recession? I mean, you talked about potentially deeper recession if the Fed overdoes it, but even given the current trajectory, what are the risks of a recession? How high do you expect unemployment to go under various scenarios? (laughs) So, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities here. I mean,
1: just as a reminder, you know, what's in the SEP right now envisions growth of a little over one percent for the final two quarters of this year, given the negative quarters in the first half of the year, and and then they see growth below potential, which they estimate at one point eight percent. At least the median is, but not lo- not loads below that. So the Fed's looking, they, you know, that that SEP projection looks nice. Has inflation coming down to like two point eight or three percent, depending on whether it's at headline or core next year growth. Yeah, it's below potential and unemployment's rising a little bit, but it's not. You know, there's going to not be rioting in the streets because of these outcomes although in some cases there probably should be but that's another story that i'll tell in the book um, but yeah I, I i think the fed sees something that looks really quite benign and and i certainly hope they're right the risk of recession i think relies importantly but not exclusively on exactly what the fed does and why and if it turns out inflation really is more persistent than it may seem to me at the moment and they need to raise rates more but they raise them you know, well above 5%. It's not just, you know, that the 5% Fed funds rate has dramatic effects, but my guess is that two things will react to that. One is that a whole array of asset prices will readjust once more. You know, of course, stocks, of course, long-term interest rates, but also the value of the dollar and house prices and all sorts of things are going to adjust. And those effects could be significant. But the other thing that might react to that is confidence. If consumers feel that, the Fed is once again behind the curve. If inflation appears to be a more trenchant problem, entrenched problem, I should say, um, confidence consumers and businesses might fall. And that together with the, the tightening in asset prices um, could lead to a, a recession. Huge, I hope not. I don't really see all the follow-ons that would cause a recession of great depth. But then again, how often do we see those in advance? So this is, this is why I say there's, there's a risk to over-tightening um that's the kind of dynamic that would make me worry and then yeah having an unemployment rate that goes up to 4.3 or 4.4 percent would have looked really wonderful because it could be up to you know five six seven percent and that's that's millions of people dislocated and as i think is it's worth emphasizing it's not as bad for the the white males in the economy as it is for communities of color where that five or six or seven percent will turn into 10 or 12 or 14 percent. And so we should take that into account too, as a risk when we think about what we're doing to keep inflation under control.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the book since it addresses some of those issues that you've just mentioned. The essence of what I get from the book is that basically there's a lot of mythology around the idea that hard work pays off. And if only you do the right things, you'll end up in the right places in this country. And it doesn't always play out that way. Is that a fair that's, characterization? That's, that's pretty fair.
1: Those, those narratives, which we kind of live and breathe starting at birth, are, are powerful, and they're used in two, I think, in two really important ways. The, the simplest, the more passive way is by the general public. They can be used to dismiss the bad outcomes that our economy produces in, in some respects because, you know, what, well, it's a capitalist free market economy. It's a tough life out there. Some people don't have the skills. They didn't work hard enough, and of course, they're not going to succeed. So that's, that's one way in which the narratives are used. But the other is historically, really since the founding of the Republic, those narratives have been used to structure an economy, to make choices that make our economy look the way it does today, that, that, that limit, that funnel um, good outcomes and resources to a, a few and deny that opportunity to lots of folks. Um, that starts with you know, the native people who lived here when we <laughs> arrived on the, on the continent um, but of course, it extends through a litany of abuses we've we've uh, heaped onto uh, Black African American slaves, on Hispanics and Latinos who come to this country, on Asians during critical periods. Um, <laughs> it's it's stunning, honestly, how, how how much we have done, and how many policy we've struck we have structured. You know, first taking land and and just enslaving people, and then later just denying the opportunities that we structured to give wealth building, entrepreneurship building, income building opportunities to white Americans were denied to everyone else. Structurally, those are choices we made. Those effects persist today significantly. So yeah, those narratives are powerful and they've had powerful effects. My book is trying to trace some of those historically as well as look at the economic statistics that show the the wreckage that's left in the wake of those decisions.
0: How much has the economics profession propagated those myths given kind of efficient markets, hypotheses and, you know, the rational actors and the like? I mean, I think on, on the one hand, the, the core teachings
1: from the macro, from the, pardon me, the economics profession have uh, reinforced those notions significantly. Um, and it's not that they're all bad. It's not that it's bad to use a rational man as a loose proxy for how some people behave at least some of the time, or some markets function. So I think that has, that has contributed, unfortunately, to the, to the mess that we've created. Um, especially, I think, the, the belief in free markets, whatever that means. It's a very slippery term. So there's no such thing as a free market. We've created all of them in particular ways to deliver particular outcomes. But I think the adherence to free markets the notion that capitalism as we've constructed it is best i am a fan of capitalism but not a f- complete fan of the way we've decided to construct our version of capitalism i i think they contributed i i do want to say that in the last it's not just the last couple of years for a number of economists um, working in labor working in um, racial equity um, there has been a growing awareness that there's some things missing from that story for sure. And so there are economists now to their great credit working on a better understanding of how the the landscape actually looks and how the economy really works. The problem is that, that's great, but the problem is that those papers that economists write will not quickly change the, the widely held and deeply believed narratives that many people, not all, but many people, in the country hold. So for that to change, we need to do some more work and a, a different kind of work,
0: I think. And maybe one last question. How how much does the inflation problem complicate addressing some of these disparities that you highlight in the book? It's a just a really unfortunate development because, and
1: I, I this is not novel to me, but I do wanna make sure in the book that it's well known. Communities of color benefited significantly in the the last years of the 2010s, because the Fed, both Janet Yellen and Jay Powell, pursued a policy where they kept rates low for longer than you might have expected they would, which brought unemployment quite low in, in many communities, lower than it had been for some years. So it brought significant employment and economic stability benefits to communities that had been in kind of perpetual recession throughout the preceding decades. They could do that, because they didn't see any threat from inflation. I mentioned this earlier. There was, yeah, the, the economy was running hot, I suppose you could call it. It was running well, strong demand, but no signs of inflation rising. And so in those circumstances, they were able to benefit all those communities who had not benefited as much from macro policy prior. And of course, the problem now is that we've got inflation and inflation directly hurts you know, communities of color and low income communities more than it does me. So that's a problem that needs to be addressed. However, what I'm hopeful of is that my reckoning of how inflation works is about right, and that we'll see some receding of inflation as the supply effects fade. And as you know, the Fed moves to something a, a little tighter than neutral policy, which will make sure that demand and supply are in rough balance, but at a really healthy level of demand and activity um, so that it can get back again to that circumstance where these communities that have suffered just secularly over many, many decades, will again benefit from, from relatively uh, stimulative policy and, and a strong economy. But until we can be sure about what's going on with inflation, obviously, I don't have confidence the Fed's going to get to that because they feel they have a job to do, and they, they do to some extent. But it, it has really thrown a monkey wrench in that that constellation of macroeconomic choices.
0: That was Jeff Fuhrer, former Boston Fed executive, now a fellow at the Eastern Bank Foundation and author of The Myth That Made Us. Thank you so much for joining FedSpeak.
1: Thank you. Thanks. It was great to be here.